0: Natalia, how's it going?
1: Hi, Tim. I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful, and I am really excited to have you on the Coupley Relationship Advice podcast. Thank you so much for making some time for us today. I'm I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to it as well.
0: So, I want to introduce you to the Coupley community a little bit so everyone listening to this knows who you are and Guys, we're so lucky to be joined by Natalia today. She is a relationship and self-esteem coach. She provides her clients with goal-oriented strategies to improve relationships, overcome obstacles. And you specialize in dating, relationships, breakups, cheating, trauma, self-esteem, and really smashing those unhealthy patterns. You've also got a bit of a specialization, which we're gonna be digging in today which is all around toxic relationships and for us we if we can understand what a toxic relationship is then we can try and make sure that we don't either get in one ourselves or unwittingly turn our own relationship toxic so we're going to be looking into that as a as a topic today which I'm super excited to dive into into and before we start is there anything else that you'd like the coupley community to know about you?
1: No, I think you did a good job of introducing me. So I'm just ready to get into how, it.
0: How did you get into this space, though? Let's do like a little bit of a rewind <laughs> back. And okay. you've got a pretty nice love story as well, which for the romantics <laughs> here, they might want to hear.
1: You mean my online online uh, Instagram dating love story? Um, so what do you want to hear first? How I got into to this field or how my relationship started?
0: Let's start with the relationship.
1: Okay, okay. All right. So I myself met my current partner, my fiance, on Instagram during COVID, actually. (laughs) So, yeah, it wasn't a dating app. It wasn't, we weren't connecting with each other to date because he is from India and I'm from Denmark. So we were just both coaches and we kind of connected and. know I thought he was attractive and (laughs) we started talking back and forth and voila here we are I'm actually in India right now with him um so we had to wait we had to wait for more than a year just talking over video before we actually met in real because it was COVID and the borders were closed so we couldn't meet each other for such a long time so it's, it's quite it's quite an interesting story um yeah, it worked it like out.
0: meeting for the first time after a year of purely online romance that is a that's a wild story to me I,
1: know. I was so nervous he was so cool he wasn't even he doesn't get nervous and i don't i still to this day i don't understand how he does he it's just he doesn't get nervous and i was shaking you know and my heart was beating i was walking out from the airport i was meeting him in delhi airport was coming there to pick me up and uh he was just so cool he was just like hey and he was like gave me a hug and i was like shaking so he was calming me down he was like it's all right it's all right hi And but really it's so interesting with him and actually i've experienced it with online friends as well that meeting people in real it it's. It, I haven't experienced it t- to be a disappointment. Like it just feels like you're meeting a good friend that you already know so well, and it's just three dimensions now. But yeah. you know, it's. It felt very natural actually, after that yeah. initial
0: you're you're so right and i'm thinking about times when i've met online friends as well either colleagues that you knew through covid and then you never got to meet them and then because they had their camera angled a little bit high you thought they were really little you're like oh this little fella and then they come they're six foot six and you're like how are you how (laughs) how are you this big and why do you have your camera so high (laughs) and then i've met some friends through online (laughs) communities so i was a writer Um, I've been a writer on on Wattpad and we had a little group of us that probably around the same time we were chatting online for a year and when we finally went for dinner in London it was like magical we just spoke all night long because we knew each other so well
1: I saw was that recently I saw the pictures on Instagram
0: that was that was online therapist community that I know from TikTok and instagram here in toronto so if anyone's listening to this as well and you're like a therapist or in the relationship space in toronto hit a brother up because i love hosting an occasional dinner and just bringing people in the community together but very very similar actually natalia because you're you're meeting people that you've seen their content and from that you generally can get a pretty good vibe of someone and it's, and then it is weird. True. you do feel like you do feel like you know them and you do know a little bit about them. If you've been yeah. watching their videos for a year or so, you actually do know for a little sure. bit about them.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's so surreal, right? But I, I love it. I mean, I just love Instagram and yeah. social media. It, it, for me personally, it's given me so much. I've gotten so many friends from social media, so many connections, my, my partner, like, yeah. thank you, Instagram. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a whole life. We did a study on this around around how couples meet. So we did some research on this. And actually, DMing on social media uh, was one of the largest ways. Uh, So people meet primarily, the biggest one is introductions through friends. Uh, And then it was people that they met through work. And then it was online dating. And then it was DMs. So sliding into those DMs is a totally legitimate way of finding a new partner. So for the guys listening this, pretty much everyone's in a relationship. But if you know your single friends, I think tell them. uh, Slide. Just just give it a go. And I have to ask on the topic of DMs, who slid into whose DMs first and how did they do it?
1: (laughs) So... So this is how it started. I was looking for some hashtags, like healing, something like that on Instagram, right? And so a picture that he had posted came up randomly um, on my feed. And I thought, wow, he's really good looking. And then I commented. um, And then, then I think, I don't know if he followed me or I followed him but one of us i think i probably followed him to be nice, honest with you nice and um yeah and then he messaged me right. yeah
0: i love that that's very very cool yeah
1: but in the beginning it actually wasn't like cuz he was far away and i was in denmark like it wasn't it didn't have that it w- it wasn't mm. for dating purposes that i even commented actually um And I think for him as well, he wasn't in a place at that time. It wasn't flirtatious in the beginning at all. It Mm -hmm. kind of developed over time.
0: Beautiful. Love that. Mm -hmm. What an exciting Mm -hmm. romance story. That's great. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and now going in complete the opposite direction, we're going to talk about toxic relationships how, (laughs) how did this, how did this subject become (laughs) of interest to you? And how did you end up developing so much expertise?
1: Yeah. So. I've been working with self-esteem for a long time as a self-esteem coach, and I started to see that there was um, a huge amount of my clients who were struggling with self-esteem that had been in toxic relationships, right? And I work with people who, who are people pleasers, people who are codependent, people who are anxiously attached like that those that's my typical client right Right. and so so many of them had been in really unhealthy relationship dynamics so I started to wonder hmm, (laughs) you know is there something here that I should be looking into and then I just went down a rabbit hole and I found out that there's this whole you know (sighs) that toxic relationships are the root of a lot of suffering you know, Mm. in people's lives. And, Mm. you know, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, Do you attract a toxic relationship because you're already emotionally, feeling emotionally unsafe and traumatized? Or do you become traumatized from the toxic relationship and then you need to work on your self-esteem? And it's a little bit of both, right? So it's because I saw it again and again and again and again that there was a certain type of client that I... uh, who I was working with. And uh, yeah, so that's where it started. And then now I just more or less solely work with people who as a relationship coach, you know, but with a, with a hint of self-esteem work, because it's necessary if you're involved in a toxic relationship or have been involved in a toxic relationship previously, working on your self-esteem is really important.
0: That makes so much sense. Before we go further, I do want to get into a little bit more of the definitions. So what, is the definition of a toxic relationship or how do you define it specifically?
1: So the definite, I define a toxic relationship as being an unsafe relationship, either emotionally or physically, of course, but usually mostly emotionally unsafe relationship where one or both parties are not able or willing to work on themselves. Mm, mm. Okay, so it, and, and that that last part is really, really important because if you're sitting there at home thinking, oh my God, but we, we also have many toxic fights and I have toxic traits and he has and she has, we all have toxic traits, right? So all relationships have elements of toxicity, but the main difference is, are you willing and able to work on yourself? Because... If you are not, then the relationship does become toxic, right? Because if you have some dynamics that are really damaging to your partner within yourself and you don't want to work on them, mm. that's the recipe for a, a toxic relationship. If that makes sense.
0: It makes complete sense. And that that lack of growth, that lack of mm-hmm. self-growth is that's I think the one that probably would scare me the most in a relationship. Yeah. That would be the one where I don't think I could get around it is is when people can't take responsibility or they're not willing to change the sentence for me that I drives me mad when I hear it is when people say, Mm. well, that's just, that's just who I am. Take it, take it or leave it. That's just who I am. That's it because you feel like there's no way to get around it. And it just, Mm. it's like not taking any accountability and I think maybe as someone that has more of that empathetic, people pleasing, it's such an affront to like my, the culture that I try and carry <laughs> is this idea of like empathizing and understanding. Um, yeah,
1: I know. Yeah, that, that's just who I am, take it or leave it. Yeah, that's someone saying that is not a person who is ready for a full blown relationship, mm. let's say. I mean, and also very, I mean, often toxic relationships are either people who are emotionally like one or both partner parties are either emotionally immature, or maybe there's some narcissism involved or some other kind of uh, personality disorder will often be there, you know, and then it's hard to work with, because most of these people are not able to really work on themselves, even if they say that they want to.
0: so but but, yeah thinking about the audience listening to this what are some things that you see or have seen that are those toxic patterns so that people can kind of identify them in their own relationships
1: Mm, yeah so um do you mean early on or just in in general in the relationship
0: general in the relationship typical things that people might see um it could be things like repetitive arguments it could be things yeah. like behavior and if so like what are the what are the specifics that you get into that you see over and over yeah. again i'm sure there yeah. are, are patterns
1: yeah and there
0: are I, I, i'm really like kind of curious because if we can identify those patterns and the people listening to this can kind of know
1: yeah i understand so um typically it will involve one person usually Mostly caring about themselves and not taking their partner's emotions into consideration, right? So the relationship is all about them. They don't have a lot of empathy for the other person's situation. Everything has to kind of, um, the the relationship is kind of supply for that person to feed their ego or their need for love and protection. But they're not not really giving back so it's one-sided. That would be one one red flag you know if you're with someone and, and you don't feel that the love is being reciprocated that the you know generosity whatever it may be is being reciprocated then it's it's not fully balanced the relationship right and then there are the obvious ones which is um you know emotional abuse lying to a certain day i I think we're all kind of tell this little white lie here and there Mm -hmm. but i mean like lying about serious things um very violent fights of course in below the belt you know like uh, how do you say like
0: that's you know what i mean like yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah, I, I mean, there's just a certain level of decency, right, that has to be there in 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 a fight with a partner. Like, you can't just call your partner a fucking whore. Okay, I'm sorry for my yeah. language, <laughs> but, right, like, in the middle of the fight, like, that's not okay. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be certain things you don't say and a certain level of respect, even when you're fighting, even when you're hurt. Right?
0: I, I I think there's a... There's a there's a quote which is around if you wanna understand if a couple's gonna make the, the distance or not, look at the way that they fight. And obviously the work from the mm-hmm. Gottmans has really dove deep into doing the longitudinal research around the percentage of couples that stay together and the and how kind they are during arguments to one another, the the magic wow. ratio yeah. they call it. And thinking about that is really interesting around how below the belt behavior and you know it when you Mm -hmm. see it but it means in a fight are you someone that's stooping low and you know when you Mm -hmm. do that and I've I've definitely done this in the past before I really learned more about how damaging this is because you sort of it's when you feel a bit desperate you feel like you're losing an argument and I've spoken about this on the podcast a lot one of my Previous toxic traits that I'm so glad to have abandoned was this idea of winning and losing an argument and winning and losing a conversation. Went to like debate club at university mm-hmm. and learned how to debate, and you learn how to argue really yeah. well and deconstruct someone else's argument and pull it apart uh, to win. Yeah. And that that idea of, of of winning is so is so damaging. And I think yeah. going below the belt is almost like that emotional art um emotional warfare i was gonna say art of war but it's not really art it's just like emotional warfare it's mm. like nuclear warfare for your relationship in which you'll end up poisoning the entire battlefield and guess what that battlefield is also the garden of your love the place where you're supposed to yeah. raise your children the land that you're supposed to build this house and oh. have this amazing life of and if you're throwing nuclear weapons if you're throwing like poisoned bombs at one another through this below the belt behavior yeah and you never forget the things when people say something horrible to you in an argument <laughs> like that you just don't just say
1: that it's like you might apologize later but the other person believe me they are going to remember whether you apologize or not whether you say oh baby i didn't mean it doesn't matter they're gonna remember <laughs> and, so and if you said something you... really devastating about their family you know that can be also usually something that's really below the belt to go after mm-hmm. someone's family like your partner's family in a fight for example you can't take it back you know you can't really take it back so well,
0: it's a it's a it's a really interesting topic and it's a really interesting indicator to look at both in early relationships and longer relationships because mm-hmm. now it now we're talking about it you can you can see when how people react when things don't go their way even Mm -hmm. even in a little bit earlier on in the relationship you can spot the ways that just if people have some have some adversity how they react to it how they treat the people around them and even if you're in the honeymoon period so you're not getting that you're not getting that flack you're not picking up that fire you can be fucking sure that after that honeymoon period <laughs> is over, if, they, if they're um, directing that to waiters, your Uber driver, the whoever's tour. trying to help them, whatever this interaction is, or even listening to how they speak about other people, be it, be it at work, be it their friendship circle, like eventually that oh, cool. turret is going to get turned around directed on you. you.
1: Yeah, you learn so much. By seeing how they treat other people, especially like you say, like people who are below their status mm-hmm. or, you know, people who are. Mm-mm. Yeah, you can't, I can't, you can't really say someone's below, but like for a narcissist, for example, someone that they would consider to be beneath them, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are many, I just want to put a big disclaimer here. Many of these things we're talking about with fights and so forth, it can be worked on as well. If you're too genuinely Um, good people with good intentions, and you have bad patterns when it comes to fighting, and you don't know how to handle your emotions, and you overreact, and so and so, if you want to work on it, and if you do work on it, it's all right. Like, so if you're sitting at home listening right now, and you're thinking, oh my god, my relationship is doomed, because when we fight, we stoop so low, and, you know, um, but there are many other things. There is also the silent treatment is a I mean, many people do it, but it's not a healthy way of dealing with conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of like a punishment. Mm-hmm. So there, there are many, many things, but but again, if you wanna work on it, you can work your way out of having toxic arguments. So, So just having arguments alone in a toxic way doesn't necessarily mean you have a toxic relationship. Yeah. Right. So it's like many of these factors, they they have to be there, like um, present. All many of them, just not just one. Sorry. Yeah. Like Sometimes my English, my my brain is thinking in Danish and my mouth is speaking. in, in
0: English. And all of it is sounding beautiful and making complete sense. I think. Okay, you, I'm
1: glad to hear it.
0: You, I, I I really like that you've raised that because. Because. It leads the it leads us towards a path of people actually having a conversation about the way that they about the way that they argue specifically, and I think that's such a great uh, a great practice for couples to do is to have a little look back, and you have to be really careful to not get into the he said she said, but you can say hey team we are you know team team Harry and whatever it is Harry and Harriet. Yeah and we have to create our own charter of how we're going to argue and the things that yeah. we can agree on and here are mm. our behaviors that we know that that we are open with we are going to do our real best to not raise our voices at one another to not shout at each other and if we are shouting at each other we probably know that we need to like take a little cool down mm-hmm. we're going to do our best to talk about things that this is bringing up for us and not hide it behind justifications but actually pull out try and pull out the emotions and if we don't know what those emotions are say like hey this is triggering something in me and I'm feeling really fucking pissed off I don't 100% know what it is right now but this isn't I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot of things um yeah and then and then and then creating sort of like these rules of warfare not going after each other's families not going after if you are going after your partners friends because you believe that they're a bad influence on them just trying to do it in like a, a structured way and a fair and, and a fair way and and not going for this below the belt behavior and you kind of have to define what that is within your own relationship but I feel like it's one of those things yeah. you know if you've ever done any kind of combat sports you get kicked below the belt you know it when it happens
1: yeah <laughs> you definitely know you definitely feel it fit. yeah exactly and i i think just it's important to say as well that no one knows how to do this unless they practice because we are not taught how to handle our emotions in school we're not taught how to fight what what is it what is the right way to fight what is the wrong way to fight like we are, we all grow up completely clueless unless we had parents who really knew how to do these things and who could teach us but most of us we don't know right yeah. so You guys, you also need to cut yourself a little slack and your partner a little slack if you make mistakes and you accidentally, you know, do uh, the silent treatment or you do, you know, stoop really low. And it's just about looking inwards and the willingness to work on yourself, right? Because no one really knows what they're doing. We're just all learning here how how to have good fights. One of the things
0: that you spoke about as well was when one partner seems to be in it for themselves and not really have much empathy and not really care. They just care a little bit less. They care a little bit less and somehow that ends up giving them more power, probably because it's the old avoidant attachment dynamic, Mm -hmm. perhaps at play a little bit. But, But what can someone do there? Because it often drives the person who's perhaps more anxiously attached to distraction because they don't mm. feel loved and then they start feeling more insecure when they start feeling more insecure they can start having more prob- problematic behaviors or seeking to <laughs> cling towards their partner or make their partner want them which can drive their partner further away like what are some of the things that you see there and and how do we get into it? how do you how do you help couples when that cycle becomes toxic
1: yeah and it's interesting that you mention it because one of the classical Toxic relationships um, is the avoidant anxious one, you know, yeah. <laughs> because those two attachment styles, they're just not compatible, yet they somehow magically always seem to find each other. These people, <laughs> right? <Like> that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so there's a, I see a lot of that. And in such relationships, the, they both have some work to do and they both have something to learn from each other. Right. Because what we want an anxious and an avoidant to do is to work towards becoming more secure in their attachment. Right. So we want the avoidant partner to be able to open up a little and uh, rely a little bit on their partner uh, without fear of rejection. And we want the anxious partner to learn how to regulate his, her, their own emotions. So, yeah, so they each have some work to do. Yeah. yeah, they each have some work to do. Um so if I if I would work with a, a couple who have avoidant where one is avoidant and the other is anxious, I would give them each their homework. Um, cuz they individually have to work towards becoming secure. And then that's where they can meet, right? But but avoidance and anxious partners they have like I said they have so much to learn from each other, right? Cuz the avoidant is dealing with the emotions all by himself, herself and the anxious one is completely desperate for someone else to regulate their emotions. Yeah. Right? So it's uh, yeah, but they, that, that's, if these people are not self-aware, it would definitely qualify as a toxic relationship because it's not compatible. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, unconscious sabotaging behavior yeah. Like you mentioned as well, it can be from the anxious person not getting their needs met or the avoidant person pushing away and just being completely self-sufficient and selfish. Um, yeah. So yeah,
0: what what is some, some of that um, anxious behavior that, that you've seen or examples that you can share?
1: Yeah, so becoming, controlling, Constantly wanting reassurance, becoming very, very needy, acting out, making drama to get attention, maybe even going out and cheating or making the partner jealous. Like, Mm -hmm. It's like, it's anything that the anxious person can do. It depends on how how desperate they are. But acts of desperation is what I see from the anxious partner.
0: I I think of it as well as like when... When you're, an, when you're anxiously attached and you're getting activated and you're becoming unhealthy in your attachment, you start playing 4D chess. They are playing, they are playing 4D chess in their relationship and their poor partners on the other side of the board just not even playing, I don't know what the basic yeah. game is, but probably snakes and ladders where they're just taking one step in, yeah. in the same direction and the anxious no. person is trying to build a web of 4D chess yeah. around them thinking of every yeah. single thing looking at every single possibility and if you have friends like that are more anxiously attached and you have conversations about them when they're going through stuff it'll be a two hour fucking rant and at the beginning it's like you've just walked through a jungle with them your hair is everywhere (laughs) your clothes are torn you're completely confused and 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 all roads have gone, have gone in a spiral. And you finish that conversation absolutely exhausted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God, this is why therapists exist.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And that's exactly because the anxious person is looking for someone to regulate their emotions. Because mm. they don't know how to do that for themselves. Mm. So if they can't do it through the partner, they're going to try and do it through the friends. Mm. Or the family. Yeah, It's because they don't know how to do it. So they just have to learn how to do it.
0: And and awareness is so good for this. I'm definitely someone that's more on the anxious style. I'm very secure, thank God. But I definitely, and, and it depends. Like if I'm feeling yeah. less confident, I start feeling more anxious. Um, when I've been in relationships that are less like secure or I'm not sure where I stand, then the anxiousness starts to get dialed up.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: knowing that you have these tendencies is is so powerful because... You can just start thinking like, okay, that's my that's the attachment style kicking in, like, hello, my old friend. Thank you for yeah. all these thoughts. They're not that helpful, but definitely mm-hmm. appreciate what you're trying to do here. But this this whole nest of weird problem solving stuff isn't actually that that useful um, for mm-hmm. my for my relationship all my life. And yeah. then when you speak to avoidance, oh my oh my yeah. gosh, they are just shut down. Like, if I try and talk to my avoidant friends about their relationship stuff when they're going through it, they're very good at boundary setting.
1: Like, oh, yeah.
0: I, I was talking to a friend about his stuff the other day, and he was just like, "I really appreciate you checking in on me. I do not want to talk about this with you or with anyone." And I was like, "Oh, oh. okay." I was like, "Oh, so All right. that's Fair the old enough. avoid attachment style. Right. So let's uh, let's, get yeah. let's get it. That probably means you should talk about it, really." Um, maybe not with me or with a trusted professional, but, but it's just, I, I don't really set those boundaries. Like if I'm upset Mm -hmm. about something, I have to talk about it. I definitely feel like I need to discuss things. It it helps me clarify them in my own mind. But then I, you also kind of have to take that little and like, be aware when it's healthy and when it's not right.
1: I know, but I, I, in, in many ways, I feel I have so much compassion for avoidance actually, because it's so lonely. It's super lonely being avoidant. Like you don't let let anyone in. Mm. Really. Mm. And you you have kind of shut down that part of yourself or you at least you're trying, you're working so hard to just shut off your emotions and not feel anything and just but they you know you can't really do that. Like mm. you're still going to have your feelings, you're just not going to be consciously aware of them. So I actually ha huh, yeah it, whenever there's an insecure attachment style, there's so much trauma there, and there's a lot of pain there, mm, right? Yep. And so, but ideally, everyone would partner up with someone secure, yeah, because because both the avoidant and the anxious and the fearful avoidant, they they are all more comfortable with someone secure,
0: yeah. And, and I do, and I, and I do think it's one of these things that you build together as well. It's a, it's a secure relationship yeah. together, and yeah. like you. Sure. And, it, and it's really it's really cool to build that with your partner as well just that oh, brick yeah. by brick plank by sure. plank over, yeah. over, over years and years and years feeling this secure space and this safe space and this yeah. place where you can be yourself where your partner can be yourself where you can push each other but find the best in each other and i and i do really believe that no matter your attachment style with the work <laughs> yeah. with the work with a lot of work with it's building work, a house is building a house with someone easy no
1: doing no, ikea with
0: furniture with someone isn't even easy so building a whole relationship that's supposed to last the rest of your life obviously no. obviously it's going to be a little oh bit oh my hard. god it's
1: so hard yeah exactly <laughs> and and i think yeah and and you also it's so this t- topic of the toxic relationships i'm going to kind of repeat myself again and again because it's so important um to remember the definition, because we are all going to go through rough patches, right? Yeah. And we're all going to have toxic behaviors. Hell, a, a, a person who's a good person can even cheat once mm-hmm. and get over it and never do it again. And like, you know, all kinds of things can happen if you're going to be with someone for the rest of your life and you have a marriage and you have a long relationship. So many things can happen and there's just, it doesn't mean you have a toxic relationship, right? So so while these things we're talking about, they're red flags and they're definitely indicators of a toxic relationship. Um, yeah, then it doesn't necessarily mean that. And then that's not the last time I'm going to say it now. <laughs> and, and, and
0: what are some of these really core cool things that you recommend couples to do to make sure that they're pulling things, that they're creating these structures in their relationship or these patterns or these behaviors that elevate Mm -hmm. our relationship out of the toxicity? What are some of the things? Yeah.
1: I think it's really healthy to get some kind of therapy or coaching individually or together or both ideally because sometimes it's hard to see things when we're in it. You know, it can be hard, hard for someone to witness their own patterns and really understand. Like most people, they don't know about attachment styles. And mm-hmm. if they start seeing someone professional, they'll learn and then they can do their research. So and if you don't want to work with someone professionally, then then do your research. Go on YouTube, listen to podcasts, educate yourself on how to how to build a healthy relationship, because it does take a lot of work from both Uh, parties it really really does so I recommend educating yourself and then go going on your own healing journey like you you need to figure out what you are contributing with to this relationship that is not healthy right because it's not your partner's fault that you have trauma and also your partner is not your therapist Right mm-hmm. so so you can't expect your partner to be the one even though it would be great and it does happen sometimes that partners can like help each other heal and you know it is part of the relationship but it's not your partner's responsibility for you to clean up your side of the street. Mm-hmm. Right so i think um taking accountability for the individuals in the relationship is really important as well not putting putting it onto a partner but just really ourselves. Yeah working through our our issues um yeah i
0: have got i've got a question for you and this one's a bit off-piste but do you think it matters do you have to if you can change your behavior does it matter where that behavior was coming thro- from or do you think it's like a weed so say for example you have uh you grew up in an in inst- unstable household and so people pleasing is your way of creating safety in your life so this is why you tend to do people pleasing behaviors as a theoretic Mm. a theoretical model so you know that because of that you don't create good boundaries and because of that you get things build up and up and up and then you explode or you or create problems so that you know that you need to be better at um calling people out earlier and creating boundaries in your in your life you know that that behavior is what needs to happen Mm. do you think that it's okay to change just change the behavior and be like I'm going to get better at making boundaries or do you think it's one of those things where under the soil is the weed and then there's the roots that is into your childhood and all the reasons that you do this behavior do you think you actually have to pull that out or is it good enough to be like I know that I need to have a good ratio in an argument of positive Mm -hmm. sentiment. So therefore I'm going to make sure to do a positive, have create some sort of positivity, even when we're fighting versus I'm getting triggered because I was bullied or abandoned as a, as a child. Like what what are your thoughts around this behavior versus sort of going in deep?
1: Yeah. Pulling it out at the root. Because the thing is, you might be able to change the behavior and it might work for you. You might start setting boundaries. But what about that need to people, please, that started that behavior in the first place? It's just going to show up in another area of your life. That's the thing. So if you don't pull it up at the root, you might be able to change this particular thing about setting boundaries. But if there's still this big wound within you, this big trauma that you haven't worked through, of wanting other people's validation all the time it's going to show up in other places right so you're not really overall going to better your life that much just by learning a new behavior that's just that's how i see it ideally both yeah that would be the best interesting.
0: Do very interesting and i guess i've got the I I want to start start wrapping things up here. I think we've I think we've covered like an amazing array of topics within this tos- toxic relationship. I think we've given people some really cool tools and ideas and things that that they can do. Are there any final recommendations or things that you want to add, Natalia, to this?
1: Yes. One of the most important things to work on in my experience is radical self-acceptance oh, because most of the fights we have with our partners and other people in our lives, they are based on projection. They're based on us somehow not accepting ourselves, not feeling good within ourselves. And now we're back to the self-esteem. So working on accepting yourself as you are and building your own self-esteem is going to improve every single aspect of your life including your relationship right you know that old saying like you can't really love others until you truly love yourself Mm -hmm. yeah and there there is some truth to that
0: can you give some examples of radical self-acceptance where it would come down to a specific part of someone's personality or their life or something about them that needs to be accepted
1: yeah, radical self acceptance is easy when you're doing great. It's easy when you're successful, when your partner is happy with you, when you look amazing. Radical self acceptance becomes hard when you've gained weight, when you got fired from the job, when your boyfriend dumped you, you know, when life isn't so great. Then the negative voice starts inside our heads and we are, most of us really mean to ourselves inside our own heads, right? So the radical self-acceptance is accepting that you have a lot of flaws and that's okay. It's okay. You're not good at everything. Some people are not going to like you. Some people are going to dump you. Some boyfriends are not going to want to be with you. Some, you know, and and accepting that without um, needing to be perfect in every area, Right. There's this perfectionism. Everyone wants to be perfect, but nobody is perfect. Right. And so and, and it's very painful um, not accepting that that you have flaws and it's very powerful to accept that you have flaws. Like I can give you an example, for example, me. I'm so, I'm so bad at sports. Like, I was always picked last in school. And I'm like, I have this, uh, I'm double jointed. So, like, my joints are super loose and it's just not my thing. Like, I can have fun with it, but I'm not good at it. And I used to be so ashamed of that. And, and you know, whenever there were like friends wanted to do sports, I would just be like, no, I'll just watch. And, but, Now I I really have accepted it. So if someone comes over to me and laughs at me or like, oh, why do you run like that? Why are your joints like so loose? It doesn't bother me. I'll just look at them and I'll say, yeah, I know. No, that's not my strength. That's, you know, it's fine. But if I hadn't accepted that about myself, a comment like that would have completely destroyed me. Hmm. You know, so yeah. And the more we accept ourselves, the more we can accept others, including their flaws.
0: Yeah, that's, and, and we learn so much about how to treat other people by how they treat themselves. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and other people
1: learn so much about how to treat us by how we treat ourselves.
0: Yeah. I, I always think of this, I always think this quote is like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I, I yeah. hate this quote so much. <laughs> I hate it because I'm not, I'm not typically a, a perfectionist. But I, but I, I know that some people live by that, and I, and I, and it just re- repeats. Like when I'm loading the dishwasher, when I'm clearly not putting the effort, of loading the dishwasher right. I just fucking put everything in. I just want it clean and done. I don't want it, <laughs> it. Doesn't need to look perfect. There are two types of people in the world, right? The type that loads it perfectly, and then the other than us. And, and, yeah. and that just in my mind, like how you group. do one thing is how you do everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't it's think a, that's true though. I really don't think that saying is true. No. I mean, for me personally, I feel like with some things I'm so lazy and messy and with other things I'm extremely organized and perfectionistic. Yeah.
0: I do I do think though that you've really touched on something very powerful in that how that around that how people see you, you treat yourself, how people hear you talk about yourself, really has a massive impact. I was watching the mm-hmm. new Squid Game yesterday; absolutely oh. amazing TV show. I really recommend people watch it just oh, from yes. a psychology perspective. They interviewed one of the characters, and she was really dynamic. She was making friends, building alliances in this in this Squid Game show. Um, and then when they interviewed her, she said, "You know, for me, I'm I'm four eleven, so I'm really I'm really short." Everyone looks down on me. Um, people look down on me physically and and mentally. I don't even have a boyfriend, and I'm or and I'm 23 and I'm single. I I don't have kids. I don't have family. I'm not. I don't have anyone who's close to being a husband. And meanwhile, my friends are all in relationships and even even getting married. And I I just don't have anything. And I remember thinking like, wow, what a negative way to look at <laughs> Present yourself.
1: Yeah. Ooh,
0: it's painful it, it, to be inside that head. Yeah. And, and, mm. and no, from me watching the show, I was like, oh, you've, you're so personable. Um, you're building like, great friendships. She seemed really cool. I was like, you seem like oh, such a cool person. And I'm like, oh, you're single. Great. I'm sure loads of people would want to date you. Like, yeah. The, 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 the way um, that you hear people talk about themselves is it just really, it, it, it's really important.
1: Yeah, it really, really is. Yeah, and it's very painful to be one of those people who talk very negatively about themselves because that means they're very hard on th- themselves inside their own head as well. So,
0: yes, and exhausting probably to be in a relationship with someone as well. Oh my god, yeah, because the thing is like, oh. that if
1: you're, par- yeah, yeah, go on. No, I was just gonna say, if your partner is very critical of themselves, they're going to be very critical of, of you. Mm. It's just that's just how it works. Mm. So, Yeah.
0: Interesting. Well, this is, this is great. Natalia, how can people get in touch with you? Where do they find more about you? You're famous, a little bit famous on Instagram. So how can people follow you? Let's, let's talk more about that.
1: Okay. So people can follow me. I make little skits on Instagram about relationships. Um, And it's Natalia Christensen. I don't know if I should spell it out.
0: We will include it in the show notes below.
1: All right. So it's Natalia with an H, Christensen, C-H. Um, And it's the same name on both TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. All right. So you can follow me there. Unfortunately, I will say my TikTok, I'm not that active because TikTok is banned in India. Oh. So whenever I'm in Denmark, I can happily upload my videos and everything is fine. But then as soon as I go to India again um, with Sarjeet, then, yeah, then for a while, as long as I'm here, I can't upload anything. So, yeah, but you can still follow me there. And once I'm in Denmark, I'll be uploading again. Do you have
0: Facebook clients for self-esteem and relationship coaching at the moment? And if so, how can people get in touch?
1: Yeah, I do have a couple of spaces. I, I, I will say I'm almost fully booked, but you can always message me and then you can get on a wait list if I'm completely um, booked out. Uh, they can either connect with me through my website, which you can maybe also include in your, in your notes. It's nataliakristensen.com. Um, there's a form on my website where you can request for just a 15-minute meetup call. I recommend doing that. Or you can message me on Instagram, but it's more likely that I'll respond if you go through the website because on Instagram, I I get a lot of DMs and I don't necessarily see all of them in the right time. So yeah, I recommend doing that.
0: Natalia, it's been so great to have you on the show. If you've listened to this and enjoy it, please subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube and push like. It only takes a few seconds. That's me and Natalia's only ask of you today. Give us a like and a subscribe, please. Um, Thank you for being on the Coupley Relationship Advice podcast. What a wonderful conversation. And
1: it was fun.
0: It was really, really great. So thank you.